Welcome to the PA Football Story Podcast, where your host, Chad Brubaker, will sit down and talk to coaches and players to discuss the classic stories and rich history surrounding the game of football in Pennsylvania. Please hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform to get all of the latest content. You can also follow us on Twitter at the PA Football S1. Again, that's the PA Football S and the number one, or on our Facebook page, the PA Football Story Podcast. If you would like to contact us about advertising, please email us at pafootballstorypodcast at gmail.com. Today's guest on the PA Football Story Podcast is PA Hall of Fame coach Jim Cantafio. Coach Cantafio was a head football coach in Pennsylvania for 32 years with 263 combined wins at Conestoga Valley, Wyoming Valley West, Wilson, and Cedar Cliff. Jim attended Dunmore High School and East Stroudsburg University. He has served in the PA State Football Coaching Association for most of those years and was honored to be the head coach in the prestigious Big 33 game versus Ohio in 1998. Here's your host, Chad Brubaker. Coach, welcome this morning. It's good to see you down in uh, sunny Florida. Uh, you look very relaxed on your on your porch there. You just hit the nail on the head, Chad. <laughs> I mean, uh, one thing about life down here in Florida, we're out there walking this morning, getting our exercise in, and I, and I made the comment, says, God, look at all these old people walking around. <laughs> That's you. Says, you're one of them. Jim, Jim. <laughs> Jim, you're only a few years away from 70, <laughs> so you're in that category. But it is nice down here. That's why we bought down here, and that's yeah. why we love it down here. Good for you. Um, so, listen, we wanted to get into some stories here about, um, you know, Pennsylvania football. And, and uh, you know, you got hired very young uh, at Conestoga Valley back in the 80s. And, um, you know, it was innovative back then. You were one of the – the first in the area to, to use one running back and three wide receivers. And people were like, wow, who dares to do such a yeah. thing? Yeah. Um, and so I, I, you know, that was uh, over the holiday. Um, I was at my parents' house and my son, there's an old, you know, the big 10 network plays old games. And yeah. there was a 1969 Michigan Ohio state game uh, on, on the big 10 network. And my son and I were watching and he was just confounded. Like what is going on here? You know, they were running, uh, the running belly and then belly yeah. keep. And then, and the, re and the receivers are in three point stand. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. and he was like, he, he, it was like, he was watching a new game, but talk a little bit about that. Like, you know, the, the, the three wide receivers and the one running back and, and actually, you know, throwing the ball on first down. Yeah, well, I, I think it really all goes back to uh, my first teaching job. And, and I, I, I tell people this all the time. I was very lucky to be in the right place at the right time. And I think that has a lot to do with anything in our lives, being lucky and being in the right place. But I started out my first, I was at East Strasburg University. Um, for my first teaching job, I, I was at East Strasburg University. I was a senior. I just played my senior year. I knew I wanted to become a football coach. So the best way to become a football coach is to get into coaching immediately. Well, Coach Dow's the head, my head coach at East Strasburg and still very close friend of mine. I went to him and he says, coach, I have another semester. I have to student teach. Can I be an assistant football coach? 
And he said, sure. Um, so I started out my coaching and then the one responsibility he gave me was clinic director. Well, as you know, later on, I ended up starting my own clinics, but he made me clinic director. I never knew that. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. And I ran the East Strasburg Warriors football clinic. Okay. In that spring uh, would have been the, would have been the spring of um, 89. And uh, we're at the clinic and this coach, the head coach at uh, school, Kilhaven high school, uh, gentleman, God bless his soul, uh, Fred Perino. Fred Perino walks up to Coach Dowds and says, Coach, phys ed school, do you by any chance have anybody that you can recommend to us with a phys ed degree? Well, it's a phys ed school, so there's a lot of people with that. But he said, but he's got to be able to coach quarterbacks. Bingo. That's why I say being lucky and being in the right place at the right time. Coach came over and got me, introduced me to Fred. Well, obviously, I played quarterback. Um, phys ed, I fit the bill perfectly. Young, and that's what they were looking for. Well, gee whiz, the following week, Fred Perino and the superintendent, Dr. Gene Sermaz, came up and observed me student teaching. After after they got done observing me, they actually offered me the job. Nice. And I said, what? Yeah, we, but we can't, you can't sign a contract with us until you graduate from college. So when you graduate, come on down. But in the meantime, I went down for a visit. So there I was lucky as heck. Well, being a quarterback, I end up being, and you can appreciate this, the split back veer offense. Right. Well, that's what we ran at East Strasburg. So it was perfect. The only difference is Fred was one of the great football coach, tremendous, but he would never throw the ball come. He would never throw the ball, never. And it was so darn frustrating because I wanted to throw the football. Well, after three years there, and again, I said, I'm lucky Cheap Prince Cats. We won 11 games the first year, 11 games the second year, and the third year we were 13 and 0. Wow. We were the first team in the history of the state of Pennsylvania, 13 and 0. And at that time, Chad, there was no state championships. Right. We won the Eastern Conference, which at that time was bigger than the state championship to the people in the coal region. Right. So there I was, the end of my third year, first day, first week of June, I get called down to the superintendent's office, Dr. Sermaz needs to talk to you. I walk into Dr. Sermaz's office and I walk in and I would, his son was one, one of my players and uh, I was close to him. He's a great guy. He said, I, I have some bad news. So what, what's the bad news? The school board at the meeting last night made a decision. They're going to cut back. And I'm just sat there and I'm thinking, what? We're going to eliminate low man in every department. Oh, wow. So every person, every English, history, math, phys ed, they were laying us off. And I said, oh, my goodness. Well, I end up leaving the superintendent's office, walking back to the high school. I get in the high school office and I go into the football office where Fred was and John Davis and all my good friends. And I start crying. I said, I, I just lost my job. Well, we all just sat there like 
Nobody had any clue that this was coming. Well, I walked out of there. I went home. I got on the telephone. I called Coach Dowds. I says, Coach, I just got laid off. Do you have a graduate assistantship available at East Strasburg? He says, come on up. It's yours. Yes, we do. So he offered it to me right on the phone. Two days later, I'm U-hauling it, getting an apartment, and I moved in at East Strasburg. Well, I'm only, at that time, my first teaching job, I was I got hired before I actually turned 21, Chad. Yeah. I was so young. So I spent the three years at Schuylkill Haven. Then I go back to East Strasburg. And at that time, I don't know if you remember, the state colleges used to play a full JV schedule. They used to play a full schedule. The PSACs. The PSAC. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. And and so I was I had a big title, head JV coach. Coach maybe <laughs> the head JV coach. I thought, and and you know what? It was like being a head coach because you played your own games. Right. So I got a chance to call plays. I got a chance to do all of this. Okay. So then after one year of doing that, I realized that my, my calling personally was I want to be a head coach on the high school level. So I start applying. I applied. I really, I, I applied a bunch of places. I remember applying for the Tunkhannock job, which is up there in Northeastern PA. I came in second. So I'm feeling bad. I applied for two jobs out in Pittsburgh. I came in second again. And I'm thinking, why can't I get these jobs? So I would call people and I would ask them and I'd say, um, well, could you tell me? He says, hey, you're great, but you might be a little too young. Right. And no experience. I said, okay, I, I can appreciate that. So then I'm sitting in the office at East Strasburg figuring, well, graduate assistantships are usually a couple of years. And I said, coach, it looks like I'll be back for next year. We're sitting in the office and, uh, and, and, and who walks in the head coach was at garden spot. Okay. Who was my, that at the time? Do you remember? Matt Seneca's dad. Okay. Wow. Matt Seneca's dad. Yeah. I don't know if you realized it, but Matt Seneca's dad and, and Denny Hornberger mm -hmm. were co-head coaches at garden spot. Oh, wow. Here. Yeah. I think it was like 1980-ish. Yeah. Because the head coach before that had passed. So they got, they were the head coaches. Well, I'm sitting in the office at East Strasburg, and here comes Matt Seneca. Well, I knew Matt. So Matt walks in, the, the old man, and because his son played quarterback for Penn State. I don't know if you remember. Right, that. yeah. Okay. So the dad walks in and says, Coach, hey, can I come in and talk to you? He was talking to Coach Dowds. And I was sitting there because my, my office desk was there. And uh, coach said, do you mind if Jim stays or would you like him to go? He said, no, no, he can stay. So, Chad, I'm sitting there and they start talking. And he says, coach, I just got offered two head coaching jobs. And I'm sitting there because I know I applied for some head coaching <laughs> But I didn't even get interviews on. He said, I just got offered the job at Conestoga Valley. And I also got offered the job at Emmaus High School in the Allentown area, which happened to be his high school, his high school uh, alma mater. Right. What job do you think I take? He said, I'm living in Lancaster. I love Lancaster, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, should I come home? 
Should I take the job home? Well, Denny and him start talking. So in my head, I'm thinking, geez, I applied for the Conestoga Valley job. I never even got a phone call. Well, but he was a head coach already. Sure. And he had experience. I didn't have experience. So they sat there and sat there. Well, he ends up taking the job in Allentown. Monday, we're sitting in the office. And Art Grimm, who was the athletic director of Conestoga Valley at that time, calls up Denny. I'm sitting there again and says, is Jim Cantapio still one of your assistants? Then he said, yes. He said, we'd like him to come down for an interview. And I'm sitting there. And he says, I'll put you right on the phone with him right now. I got on the phone, set up the interview. Two days later, I drive down to Conestoga Valley. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to be me. But the one thing that really turned Conestoga Valley on was that, and Chad, you can appreciate this. I was a college coach. Yeah, right, 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 right. Okay. If, if you know where I'm, you know where I'm coming from. Well, sure. what we do. Okay. Uh, but I was the head JV coach. And in their minds, if you're a head JV coach on a college level, that's a step up to being a head coach on a high school level. Sure. I had experience that I didn't even know I had experience, but according to them, they liked it. Well, perception is reality too, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and so I go in there and I tell them what I'm going to do and how I'm going to do it and all this other kind of stuff. And, and then I got in my car and I start driving back to East Strasburg and uh, I got a phone call. Um, can you come back? I said, yeah, what's up? We'd like to offer you the job. I said, okay. I turned around. I was only in Berks County at the time. Yeah. I was in the Wilson's going through the Wilson school district, really that shortcut that you used to go through there to get back up North. And uh, I turned around and went back and I got hired now. So I get to like Lancaster County and you can probably, you know, Lancaster County back in 1980, the standard defense was a straight 52. Oh yeah. Okay. The standard offense was a slot eye. Okay. That was pretty much it. Right. Okay. If if someone went to a pro set, that was considered spread. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? That, that's you know, that's not a that's not a cut on that was basically everybody at the time. Like yeah. I said, you know, you go back and watch 1980 college football and uh, you know, yeah, wasn't much different. So I come in. And I had a year of college football under my belt and I was exposed to the first time I did this set. I mean, if you remember, I used to call it Rocky and Lucy. That was twins with a split end right. with two backs in the backfield. The first time I used that at Conestoga Valley, the first game of my coaching career, we play Ephrata at Ephrata. Ephrata, the year before, had won the Section 2 championship. Merv Whitmer. No, no, it, wasn't. it was Larry Hagan. Oh, okay. Larry yeah. Hagan. Larry Merv came in after him. Oh, okay. Okay. Larry, Larry was the head coach. They were very successful. Effort was really good at that time. We come in that night, Chad, and I used that formation the first time ever. They had no <laughs> clue how to line up. Could you imagine that? Yeah, That's, sure. You laugh about it now. I mean, you laugh about it now. But back then, right. twins with a split in was considered so innovative. And right. Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? Listen, just think if you had ran bubble. 
Oh my! <laughs> we didn't learn. We nobody learned about the bubble screen until yeah, Purdue late. made it favorite with yeah. Drew Brees. Right. To be quite honest with you, but just to show you, in the early '80s, well, then we then we go from twins with a split end. Now we go with double twins. Well, now teams playing a fifty. Now you can imagine right. they're playing a fifty, and nobody walked away the weak side end back those those days. So there you had, if the ball was in the middle of the field, you had the strong safety and corner to one side. <laughs> On the weak side, you had the corner and nobody covering number two. <laughs> right. Well, and not we, only that, teams didn't really play man. You know, there no, were very few teams played, that played, played man. Zone. So, right. Everybody played zone. It was covered yep. three all the time. So it was like, are you kidding me? So we would do that and we became this – passing sensation in Lancaster County. And when really, when you go back and you look at the numbers, the numbers weren't staggering or anything like right, that. But right. They were just, I mean, the average team might've thrown for 500 yards back in those days. We threw for a thousand. So it made it look like we right. threw the unbelievable. <laughs> and then I had a quarterback my first two years. It was first team all league and everything else only because we threw the ball twice as much as everybody else and used a couple of different formations that nobody knew how to line up to. Right. Nobody knew, and and the fifty-two defense pretty much was dominant until about eighty-four, eighty-five. Well, in section two, but in section three, it still was correct. What was happening in section two is other teams were starting to spread things out a little bit, and that brings us to Mike Williams. Yes. That brings us to Mike Williams, who also, you know, was very innovative as well and always willing to uh, try something new to get a, to get a, you know, an advantage. No doubt. He, I always say to Mike Williams back in the eighties, he made me a better football coach. Sure. Okay. And Michael always said, I made him a better football coach because we played for the section championship every year. Every year from 81 to 88, CV Central was for the Section 2 title. Every year. And I would, hey, I wanted to know what he was doing. He wanted to know what we were doing. And, you know, we were both always looking to get ahead of one another. Okay, what can we do? Well, we got him the one year. Like I said, we're always looking. You know, we were, we used to use a pro set and we go up to Manheim Central. And uh, we line up in pro, and then I shifted the fullback to weak side tight end. Now it ended up being our Oakland set, double tight, double flanker. Right. Now, nobody saw that formation before. So we beat him that night simply because they never saw the formation before. Yeah. And they, did, they didn't have any idea how to adjust to the formation on the weak side. Because as soon as we shifted the fullback to weak side tight end, now we had double tight. They're in a 50. Now you got flankers. Okay, where are you going to put your strong safety? Right. So wherever they put the strong safety, we would run speed option and all kinds of stuff to the weak side. Right, just opposite. Just opposite. And they couldn't cover it. <laughs> but, but, you know, and it, but, but Mike Williams was always the reason. I, well, Mike is, Mike's a phenomenal football coach. Um, but he was always looking for ways to one up us. Right. You know what I mean? One up us. And when you talk about stories of Mike Williams, he one up me. He got me on this. <laughs> We're playing. This is in the 
the fall. I went on sabbatical in the spring of 91. I went on sabbatical. Back then, they were giving out educational sabbaticals. Right. Those went you by the wayside. It went by the wayside because everybody, <laughs> everybody was taking them. Right. I mean, I took it. I went to Millersville and took 12 credits. And they did, and at that time, they didn't make you get into another major. As long as you took 12 credits, they allowed you to take this medic or this, right. uh, this educational sabbatical. So I took it. And then when spring break came, I went to Miami and I was there for two weeks. And I learned at that time when we called it the Miami offense, as you know, the one formation, five wides was Miami. And uh, we go there. I go to Miami, come back with all these ideas. Okay, so that year, we're now meeting Mannheim Central in the district championship. And uh, what happens is the reporters come to our school like on Monday or Tuesday, and they're going to do a big article. You know, back then, Chad, you remember the Lancaster newspaper used to do a lot of big articles. Oh, yeah. They, they really covered high school, high school sports. Not that they don't cover it now, but. Oh, it's different. Newspapers, much different. It's different. So they come in and on our big bulletin board, I had become really good friends with a guy named Art Kehoe, who was at University of Miami for offensive line coach, offensive line coach. You know him. Yep. So I called, I called Art and I says, Art, could you do us a favor? Could you get coach Erickson to send us a letter? (laughs) <laughs> wishing us good luck. And here's the way I want you to put it from the Miami of the South, to <laughs> Miami of the North. Good luck this weekend. Beat Mannheim Central. Well, our kids loved it. I had that thing blown up. It was on the, po- on the bulletin board. Uh, that's why they call them bulletin board material. Right. Right. The reporter comes in, he takes a picture of it. <laughs> All right. Next day, he's at Man M Central. He shows Mike Williams this. <laughs> That's the guy. Shows Mike Williams. Well, now Mike is thinking, how can I get one on up, one up on him here? So here's what he does. He takes that, and he turns it all around, and he sends it to all his players, all the people in the community. He gets it out there. Miami is looking down on Mannheim Central. They're the little sisters of the poor. Okay. Could you believe the University of Miami? Okay. They start sending Dennis Erickson. <laughs> right. They sent him. It wasn't a fax message. They sent. They were sending him fax messages like crazy. How could you do this? How could you pick one team over another? You're a college football coach. You're supposed to remain neutral. Well, they blast them. I get a phone call from Mark Kehoe. Jim, what did you do? What did you do? Oh, my God. The people are calling us. They're hanging up on Coach Erickson. They're sending us this. They're sending us that. What did you do? I said, Art, I told him what I did. Okay. So that was Mike's way of motivating his kids. Well, now we played a district championship game. We're up by two scores going into the fourth quarter. And they come back and they're going to beat us. Well, there's about a minute to go in the game. I called timeout, okay? We were losing, and we were, were out of the game. I called timeout, 
And I purposely went in the huddle to say, tell our kids, hey, do keep your mouth shut, be right. respectful. Let's not get in anything here. This is no word of lie, Chad. <laughs> it was a beautiful sunny day at Hershey Stadium. And, and you know, the man on Central people brought a lot of people. Oh, yeah. I go in our huddle and I'm talking to our kids. The entire Mannheim Central bleachers stood up <laughs> and start screaming. We beat Miami. <laughs> we beat Miami. And I am just standing in the huddle. I'm ignoring it, but I'm, I'm hearing it clearly. <laughs> right. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, Mike Williams is one up on me here. He got me good. Well, you he guys has- used to have all kinds of like, you know, at the time, it, I'm sure it was there's it was playful in the newspaper, but there was quotes back and forth all the time. Oh, yeah. It but was. a Yeah. You know, let's face it. You know the way it is. I mean, back then in the 80s, we were getting all the press. Okay, we won five straight section championships, so we were getting all the press. We were the team in section two. And 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 the rivalry just started getting intense. And like I said, we used to play the last game of the year. We did that for about eight years and then eventually it got changed, but it became such an intense rivalry that everybody looked forward to it. And if you won it, you were happy for the winner. If you lost it, you were pissed for the winner. You know what I sure. mean? And and it's just the way, and then the people, Mike Williams and I are actually pretty good friends and the media would, you know, put Mike against the eye and, sure. and you know, he said something, I said something, you know how it goes in the coaching profession. The media likes to get that press people buy papers and, and all that kind of stuff. So it was intense. It was fun as heck. And, you know, I always tell people, I respect Mike Williams incredibly because he he was a hard worker and uh, he did unbelievable things with that Mannheim Central program. I mean, their their success over that reign, I mean, they won 16 district championships. Sure. That's ridiculous when you think about it. It is ridiculous. <laughs> we all wish we could do that. Gripes, win four or five of them and you think you're feeling good. Never 16? Well, I think one of the things that maybe dispelled like that you and Mike disliked each other um, was when you guys started camps. Um, you were one of the first people that started camps. You know, I don't know if you know this, but um, I don't. What was the first year that you did a quarterback camp? Do you remember? It would have been. It, well, I, I, I actually incorporated Susquehanna Valley Sports in 1988, and that's only because my camp started to get real big. Yeah. And I had to do from a liability standpoint. I had right. to protect myself. But I started doing my camps probably in 80. I started doing my camps in 83, 84. Uh, okay. I didn't realize it was that early because, yeah, it was. you know, it was. I attended one. <laughs> As, <laughs> but go, it was probably, I want to say it was 89 because that was going into my senior year. And it was at CV. Yeah. Over at CV um, behind the bleachers on that. Yeah. There was like a practice field there. Yeah. And uh, I remember, uh, I remember you had, and I don't even know who the heck these kids were, but you had these twin kids and they were younger than me, but they were oh, pretty yeah, cocky. Yeah, they were from Conestoga Valley. Yeah, they were pretty cocky. Yeah, oh yeah. The one, oh, yeah. The one, one kid walked up to me and said, where are you from? And I said, I'm at Cacalico. And he kind of scoffed and I wanted to <laughs> I wanted to go at it right there with yeah, him because yeah. he was kind of like, ah, oh, Cacalico. But uh, yeah, you were holding those you know, camps way back and and you and Mike did that. Um, we, when we expanded it. 
Yeah, we we extended it later on, and we did uh, we did a camp together. But you know, uh, when we were competing against each other, we were we were competing against each other. We were pretty we were intense. We both are very strong Type A personalities, and you know, we clashed. We had our we had our moments, but uh, I think there's there's a ton of mutual respect there that we both tried to do our best to try to be as successful as we possibly could. Sure. Um, you know, and it's the same way today. I mean, the guys that are successful, I mean, let's face it, Chad, there, there's a lot of things that go into a, a winning program. There's a lot of parts that have to come together. A lot of parts. You just can't walk in uh, and turn a program around. Sure. You just can't do that. I mean, like right now, there's a whole bunch of jobs that are open. And, and truthfully, I got <laughs> our buddy Jeff Brubaker the other day texted <laughs> me again and he says, hey, how many of these new jobs are you applying? For? <laughs> and I texted back. I said, Jeff, please, I'm done. I'm done. Yeah, right. You need you need some young coach that that's willing to put in all the time that's necessary to do it. I said it's not easy. It's hard. And as you know, Chad, trying to get administrations to support the yeah. program the way a program needs to be supported to be successful is not easy no it's not and that's that's really you know one of the most important things that people don't realize is you need to have people that have your back uh in terms of hey we need you know this piece of equipment or we need you know consideration over here and and you know honestly a lot of times you get turned down but you try to figure out a new way to do it you you may not remember this but after the 85 season and Cacalico district title in double uh, A, by the way. Yeah. Uh, and we had a great team at Conestoga Valley. We lost to Bishop McDevitt in the district championship game. That's when they had all those big time football players. Right. Big time football players. And uh, there was no state championships that year. The state championships start till 88. But uh, we had just come off five straight. The McCaskey job opened up. And I applied. Uh, I know another guy that applied for that job. Uh, I don't. Phil oh, Kaufman. Oh, that's right. That's right. He Phil told did. me. He told me later on down the road. Yep. He said he looked at that job. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And I applied for for a couple of reasons. Number one, I'm thinking, ah, oh, big city school with athletes. You know what I mean? Right. Plus, where I lived in the CV school district, it's right there. Yeah, it was right there. So I applied for the job and I go in for the interview and then I'm called back for a second interview. And then certain people in the Conestoga Valley school district that were sort of influential called me up and said, Hey, let's meet here. And I said, I met with them and they said, well, why do you want to leave Conestoga Valley? I said, let me give you a cut. I'm really not looking, but I'd be a fool not to look. Number one, I can almost double my head coaching salary. Right. Okay. Number two, I'm in a much bigger school district. Okay. With more to feed from. There, there was all kinds of thing, different things. And okay. So then they said to me, well, we're going to go sit down with the superintendent tomorrow and uh, talk to the superintendent. What, what do we need? What do you want to stay? Right. I said, are you asking me, Siri? Yeah. What do you want to stay? 
I said, I want a brand new weight room. I said, we do not have a good weight room here. We got a little hole in the wall. We can't accommodate. Well, where can we do it? I said, there's an auxiliary gym behind the old gym in the high school, not the new gym that was out because real gym was the state of the art back in those days. Yeah. Behind there is a big room and it was huge. I said, if we get that for you, will you stay? I said, yes, I'll stay. <laughs> I'll be darned. I just, I just took a shot in the dark. Yeah. A couple of days later, I got a phone call. Superintendent wanted to meet with me. Are you guaranteeing me that if we get this weight room project done, that you're taking your name out of the McCaskey interview process and you're here? I said, yes, I got a brand new weight room. <laughs> so, you know, that stuff doesn't happen today as much. Mm, you know, yeah. that doesn't happen anymore. Back to Chad, you know, hey, I, I got hired in 1980. My God, they gave my offensive line coach a job. They gave my wires. They gave everybody jobs. Yeah. You know, well, speaking of what you said about administration, you have to be lucky to get, you know, quality assistance as well. And, and they're not just going to hire guys, you know, yeah, so I mean, my whole coaching staff were teachers in the high school back then. Right. Everybody was in the high school. Chief Prince Katz, they would let me go to university of Miami for a week long clinic with the whole coaching staff. <laughs> you know, that those things don't happen anymore. But back in those days, they did. Yeah. They did. Well, the, uh, you know, speaking of clinics, you started some clinics in Lancaster. And again, as a young coach, that was great for me because I could get out for a day or so um, and go to those clinics. And, you know, at the time when you have a couple players um, that are being recruited um, nationally, uh, you could get a lot of uh, coaches to make the commitment to come to Lancaster <laughs> County and, and run a clinic. And I, uh, I'm sure there's some good stories there with the, with that. Oh my goodness. Hey, you know, you were with me when we had Chad Henney, I could have got any coach in the country to come <laughs> to my clinic. Then. I mean, yeah. They were jumping for joy to do that. And by the way, Chad's starting tomorrow. I know. I know How about that. Good for him. I'll tell you what, God bless him, man. I'll tell you a lot of people ask me, well, you know, uh, he's really never hit it big in the NFL. I said, what? He's playing 14 years in the NFL. To me, right. that is one heck of an accomplishment. Sure. I said, he may not have the stats like some of these all pros. I said, but guys, 14 years in the NFL. Yeah, Holy I think goodness. you know, people judge everybody by uh the top of the the top of the heap. And uh it's it's crazy. I saw somebody I saw somebody post on Facebook and, you know, social media has changed things too, but I saw somebody uh, post on Facebook that I'm friends with, you know, after uh, uh, Alabama uh, put it to Notre Dame and talked about how poor of a program Notre Dame is. And I'm like, really? Like compared to, compared to what? Like <laughs> compared to what? I listen. I listen to a couple of people. They need to fire. They need to fire that offensive coordinator. They need to fire that team. Yo guys. Please yeah. come me a break. Right. Come me a break. You know, when you look at when you look at Alabama, like someone says, Well, why can't Penn State get those players like Alabama? Guys, that's never gonna happen. Right. It's never because when Alabama walks in a house, if they want a kid bad enough, they're gonna get the kid. Right. No matter what you do or no matter what you say, 
they get the five stars and everybody else gets what's left. Yeah, and you can look that up really easily. You can look up how many five stars they've had and and four stars and everybody else. But the other thing is, too, what people don't realize, that basically applies to Alabama, Ohio State, USC in a lot of years have fallen off a little bit, but there's very few schools that just walk in. There's, and and, and honestly, it's imbalanced. Clemson's there, but Notre Dame's yeah. like that. That's why Notre Dame is so good every year. When Notre Dame walks into your school, people stand up and listen. Right. It's Notre Dame because it is. But Alabama's just, they're on a different planet, man. I'm telling you. But I was, I don't know about you, but I was so impressed with Ohio State last night that. Sure. Holy goodness. And that quarterback feels, I, did he get a hit pointer? I think, well, I think he has a, like a lower back. I didn't see this morning, but the lower back, like he got hit right in his lower back and you know how that feels, you know, uh, it was, with the it crown was of the so, helmet. It was so, it was so like right around that, where that, that hip point is there, you know, i tell you what though. I, I, I think they need to take a look at that, that ejection target. Yeah. Ejection. Yeah. Because to me, that wasn't a flagrant hit. Well, no, I think I think he should have been penalized when you use the yeah. crown of your head. Like, it, and what people forget too is things are happening so quickly. But he did duck his head, uh, and and I don't like that. Like, let's put it this way: if I'm Ohio State, I don't like that. You know, I know, I know. And Clemson know. sure has Clemson sure probably feels slightly differently about it. Obviously, with the ejection, but. It's not a bad thing to have that taken out of the game. You just can't, you just can't do that. But the one thing I will say too is, you know, offensively, running backs do that a lot of times, and rarely do you see. Yeah, they that do. Called. Rarely do you what? see that called. That running back from Ohio State's pretty darn good. Number eight. Yeah. <laughs> Transfer, huh? Oh my god. Yeah. Oh my goodness. He has an interesting style. He has a. Uh, he doesn't. His running style is not very. When he gets in the open field, he's not very smooth. But people don't catch him either. Oh, dear goodness. Yeah. Dear goodness. So you, so you had these clinics and everybody in there, everybody in their uh, assistant coaches was there. Yeah. Um, I remember some things, you know, that was my first exposure to clinics as a young coach. And it was great because all these national names were coming in and, you know, uh, you know, you talked about Jeff Brubaker and Jeff and I, no relation, but Jeff and I, uh, would crack up at uh you know there's guy there's clinic guys you know and there's some guys that they'll write everything down and then there's some guys like uh they'll show something that you know you've seen a while and they'll be nudging their buddy like oh wait yeah we do this you know <laughs> and but uh boy you had everybody and everybody and then the other thing that i remember about your clinic i'll tell you a quick story i'm uh i'm hanging out you have socials after the, after the clinic at night. And uh, I'm like trying to get a beverage and I'm, you know, in line. And uh, this guy's like, Hey, can I jump in? I'm like, Oh, I'll be one more second. I turn around. It's Frank Beamer. I'm like, Oh, oh shit. I just told Frank Beamer to back off. Like I'm getting, <laughs> I butted in line before Frank yeah. Beamer. I felt bad. You know, he was the good. other thing he you was- have to understand back when I was running my clinic, Back then, you could get the head, your big hitters. You know what yeah. I mean? You could get those guys. They were out and about more. Obviously, if you had a great player, it helped. But you can get those guys. Today, those guys are all tied in the Nike. Right, right. And you don't get them on a, on a regular clinic like, like I used to sure. get. I mean, you just don't get them. They don't, their schedules are too hectic. 
that right. they they don't want to be out on the road in February, early March doing clinics. Right. And honestly, you know, clinics I've been to in the past 10 years, I prefer going to spring practice and just being there and watching and then jumping yeah. in some position uh, meetings. But uh, you get a lot of good information from division three and division two coaches because they want, they want to, you know, you get better information ultimately. Uh, more specific information because those guys are trying to make a name for themselves. And- yeah, yeah. And, and they're willing to sit down with you for longer periods of time and go over some of the finer details. Right. You know, you know I-, I went to a clinic last year and coach Munkin was there from army and he's telling us the, the army way. And then I'm thinking in my head, well, yeah, you got it. Spe- you got a specific kid. Like we, right. we have, we have a couple of those kids, but you're talking about kids that are committed to, uh, discipline from the moment they get up to the moment they go to sleep. And that's not well, the yeah. case in every high school. Yeah. We always like to use it. We need kids that are willing to run through a brick wall for you. Well, yeah. those kids at army will do that. Yeah. Right. I mean, they put their life on the line. Sure. And that's running through a brick wall. Right. Like what you hear so far, make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button. Now this podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Now back to the show. Then after Conestoga Valley, you went to Wyoming Valley West. And that was really, other than playing in the Coal Region, and I guess being an assistant, that was your first head coaching experience in the Coal Region. And uh, the Coal Region in Pennsylvania treats football a little bit differently. than the, yeah, no doubt. Uh, I mean, <laughs> there's just a different uh, small town feel in a lot of those. Not that it's not in other places in the state. Of course it is. But um, it, could be, it could be life and death in the Coal Region in those days. Well, you know, and again, uh, you're right. Uh, but I, my people that know me and close to me and my wife knows it, that they, the three years that I spent at Wyoming Valley West were three of the best years of my coaching life because, and you just hit the nail on the head. I went into a hungry school district, right? Hungry parents that were willing to do anything you asked them to do a school board that was willing to give me everything I wanted. Yeah. Okay. From a brand new weight room to a reduced teaching schedule to hiring assistants. It was like carte blanche. Sure. Being raised, born and raised in the coal region. I do know that if you don't strike gold <laughs> um, real quickly, you, you could be moving on in a <laughs> short period of time. But if you do strike gold, they're going to love you and treat you like you're something special. Sure. In the coal region at that time, um, back in 95, um, let's face it, George Curry, in my opinion, was the most innovative high school football coach in the history of the state of Pennsylvania, without a doubt. Sure. He was doing stuff back in the early 80s that nobody ever dreamed could possibly be done. I mean, he was just so innovative. It was unbelievable. He had a couple players too. Oh, don't get me, <laughs> me wrong. But the thing about it though, and this is the key to having players, Chad, and you know, this is being able to use those players sure. to the fullest. No doubt. He would, he had a Ron Paulus, let's face it, he was the best quarterback and, and one of the best in the country at the time. And incidentally, his son, yeah. Ron Paulus just got a scholarship to Notre Dame. Right. I saw where that. Ron Paulus is uh, an administrator. He's not right. coaching anymore. He's an administrator with the football team, but um, going up there, I tell people this, when I went for my interview there, 
the, I told them point blank, I'm here to build a program to beat Berwick. Right. I'm not here to beat everybody else and lose to Berwick. So this is what I will need to be able to hopefully accomplish that goal. Okay. And at the time, but believe it or not, they didn't have a weight room. Yeah. Our good friend, Pat Keating <laughs> was one of my first players, big Pat. And uh, Pat will tell you, they didn't have a weight program. Yeah. Kids were physically weak. Um, there was no weight program. There was no structure. There was no nothing. And yet they were competing against Berwick. Well, that means you're going to get beat 60 to nothing. Sure. Because Berwick was big time at that point in time. So I made some, sometimes I think about a ridiculous demands and they gave me everything I asked for. Right. Something, here's something unheard of people, people, when they hear this at the end of the uh, 95 football season, we, they had just come off like six or seven straight losing, embarrassing seasons. In 95, we finished the regular season seven and three. We won our first playoff game. So we're eight and three going into the district championship game. Right. We made it to the district championship game the first year. And we lost to Williamsport. And uh, a short time after, I get a phone call from the president of the school board. School boards were pretty powerful back in those days. Uh, yeah. Uh, and said, hey, why don't you meet us out for dinner? It wasn't like, why don't you come to the board re-meeting at the school? <laughs> yeah, right. Meeting us out for dinner. A little bit different. Right. <laughs> so over dinner, okay, and drinks, um, we talked about the football program. And then the president of the school board says, we're very happy with the direction of the program. What do we need to get to the top? What do you need? And it was like, what do you need? Tell us what you need. Honest to God. I was like, oh, okay. I was sort of well, not ready for that. I never had right. that ask before. So again, obviously I talked about my schedule, making sure that I had time at the end of the day to get the stuff ready for football, making sure our weight room was the best um, and all kinds of uh, staff being able to go to clinic. <laughs> this is crazy. I used to be able to go to 10 clinic days. <laughs> ain't, that, ain't that ridiculous when you think about it right now? Sure. I can go to any clinic I wanted to, any clinic I wanted to. And my assistants, they were allowed so many days and we would settle this at dinner. Yeah. Okay. And it was like, Okay. So then at the end of the second year, dinner again. Okay. And, but then the third year is when everything, because of the board and the administration support and uh, giving me everything that I needed within reason sure. to turn the program around. What do we do? We beat Barwick. Well, Right then and there, I could have pretty much asked for anything <laughs> I wanted. Okay. Uh, we beat Burrick in probably the most exciting coaching night of my life. Uh, because Burrick at the time was USA Today, top 10. Right. They were, you know, they were Burrick. They were, they were it. Everybody wanted to be like Burrick at that point in time. So we ended up beating them and, uh, 
you know, but the three years there were three of my best years ever, ever, yeah. ever. Met a lot you were, of you, Yeah. You were talking about, uh, you know, football coaches are generally a little bit different. You know, you were talking about uh, clinics and um, where, you know, when I came in, that was kind of not really done a whole lot. And we had a, an awesome uh, superintendent, Dr. Marsha Herta. And uh, I put in for a clinic. Well, I wanted to go to spring practice. So I put in for uh, going to spring practice over spring break. And uh, I wanted to leave on Sunday. Well, we had school on Monday and Tuesday and then in service on Wednesday. But I wanted to leave on you know Sunday night. And, uh, you know, they were like, this isn't going to happen. But I was going to stay Thursday, stay on Good Friday, come back Saturday. And Dr. Herta said, wait a second. He wants to work on a Thursday. He wants to work on a Good Friday. And you think I'm going to say no? Hmm. Like, you know, which was a great perspective. But, you know, yeah. for me, it was just what we did. But um, you know, so we went to Cincinnati, by the way. My younger days as a coach, the opportunities to be good were so much more because the schools would let you go. Yeah. They would let you go to clinics and talk to coaches and do, they would allow you to do what you needed to do to really, you know, increase your knowledge level and become a better football coach. And then back then, Chad, they just called them conference days. Right. So, and then they didn't count against you. And then as you know, slowly, no more conference days. You got to use your personal sure. days. Yeah, which I was willing to do too. I did that and have done that, right? Yeah, I mean, and 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 if you go now, you have to use personal day. Very school, few school, and they used to pay everything then. They right. paid your hotel. Then you paid for your own meals. You brought back your receipts, and you got reimbursed for your meals. <laughs> right. Everything was taken care of. I know today coaches are thinking, "Are you crazy? You don't get that today." And yeah. and in most cases, you don't. It's changed, totally changed. So you you uh, went against George Curry for three years. Yeah. Um, how was your relationship with George? Well, you know, the funny thing about it, George is the one that called me about the Wyoming Valley bus job because George Curry and I used to run a camp together called the CNC quarterback camp. Right. And it drew hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of kids. Okay. Um, one thing I tell people, I mean, call me what you wave. I said, well, I wasn't stupid when it came to business. Okay. Yeah. Tying I mean, into George, tying into Mike. <laughs> well, you know, hey, I became close friends. Well, at the time, I was in early on before that, I was in awe of George Curry. Sure. George Curry was like the, the god of high school football. Him and Mike Pettin at, at Central Bucks West. Right. I mean, I had Mike, Mike Pettin came to my house a couple of times and lectured me on football. I was there one of the yeah, times I mean, he, he was right. going to talk about the, the sniffer position. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, you know, but George Curry, before I ever got the job at Wyoming Valley West, I used to sit down with George Curry all the time and talk about all these things that he was doing and, and so forth. But, you know, George, when you prepared for George Curry, my defensive coordinators were going crazy because he was a 50 guy. He ran a 50. Yeah. Okay. So it wasn't all that complicated on the defensive side of the ball, but offensively he would do that sugar huddle back in those days. Right. And back then, you know, I know people say, well, coach, you used to be out on the side on the hash mark too. 
Well, George Curry would almost, <laughs> he would he would huddle on the hash mark, and they would break from the hash mark, Woo! and they yeah. go real quick. They'd be in an unbalanced line. They'd be in tackle over. They'd be wing over. They'd be in all kinds of stuff, and your defenses couldn't adjust. Well, listen, going out to going out to the hash mark to call play is not necessarily. Um, I don't have a problem with it as long as I'm allowed to do it. But when yeah. I when I first got to uh, our league, Rick Pennypacker was out on the he was yeah. out in the hash mark, and if I took one step, I get flagged for yeah. for, yeah. for uh, sideline warning. So I was like, well, yeah. this this got to be this has to be fair. I'm sure it was yeah. the same way up there. Well, Matt Ortega at Coatesville used to say, "Jim, get back, get back." I said, "I'm I'm sorry, Matt. I'm just so used to being out there." And I said, <laughs> "Matt, usually they let the head coach alone." A lot, a lot of times they give the head coach a little bit more leeway in yeah. some places. I said, but when you're not the head coach anymore, which I wasn't, I'm just the OC. I said, now they're on my shit. They're on my they're right. crap all the time and, and making sure that you're getting back. But George Curry, if, if you didn't do your homework, okay, and you didn't work hard, and if, here's the other thing. His weight program Everybody wanted to know what he did with his weight program because his kids were so dedicated to the lifting program. And you know this. I don't care what kind of lifting program you have. If you have dedicated kids, you're going to get stronger and better. Sure. It don't matter. Okay. I tell people that. Whether you're doing this workout style or that workout style or you remember there was a time where people didn't do squats because, you know, then all of a sudden squats were back in. Right. Okay power cleans and and all that other kind of stuff and i always felt that you know what it don't matter if your kids are faithful and they're there three four times a week and they're working hard it don't matter what kind of weight program they're in they're going to get stronger and they're going to get better right key is to get them there and that you know today everybody knows the weight program is a must it's not well, an option you kind of uh led into my next uh topic because your next job uh was at wilson west lawn uh right. wasn't called wilson west lawn at the time that's kind of become popular over the last yeah. you know decade but um and all of a sudden you walked into a situation where the weight room at the time definitely was second to none and <laughs> yeah and uh and the next thing you know all of a sudden you have a, a class football only Every a major, which is another issue, uh, a major phys ed um, elective, and every kid uh, in the football program. Uh, well, not every kid, sophomores and juniors, actually, but um, kids returning uh, were all in that uh, lifting program every morning. Every morning, yeah. And you know, I'll say this again: I was lucky. Why was I lucky? Number one, I was lucky enough to have enough success that Wilson was that interested in me. Number one. Okay. But number two, I was lucky that Jerry Slemmer, former head football coach, was now the principal. Right. Because now you were at least talking to someone that understood your lingo and you sure. know where I'm coming from. Yeah. Okay. And uh, he actually you know, understood it as opposed to, like a lot of people think they understand it, which Correct. sometimes can be okay and sometimes can be bad. Correct. So uh, I was lucky because, you know, when, when, when you know, we call him Slim, Dr. Right. Slim, but we are his, to us, he was Slim. 
when that job opened up, we were at the state coaches clinic in Hershey. Remember they used to have mm-hmm. the state coaches clinic. And that's when Jerry and I, Slim that is, sat down and talked about the Wilson program. Would I be interested? And I said, absolutely. Um, there aren't too many other programs around Lancaster that I would really be interested in. And listening to, to Slemmer talk, he was like a general manager. He says, we want to win a state championship at Wilson. Yeah. We want to get to the top. You know, and it was all about, we want to get here. We want to get there. We will, we have the greatest weight room around. We have, okay. And then he's, and one thing he said to me, I said, no, I want you to be able to come into me and tell me what we need to do to get to the next level. He would say to me, okay. And I know a lot of people, I came up with the idea of the lifting program in the morning. They did not have that our first year at Wilson. They did not have it in the program. And you can remember, okay. But we started it for the second year. And when I went to Jerry about it, he made me, and I still have it someplace at home. He said, for me to sell this to the board, I said, Jerry, here's what I want. I said, I'll be a homeroom teacher make the football players my homeroom students. I said, you know darn well, number one, they're going to come to school every day because they got to see the football coach for homeroom. Number two, if they're not doing their schoolwork, I'm going to be the first to get on them. Number three, I'm going to be able to monitor their academic progress. So I I built this whole thing that was all education, all education, right. all education. And, and Slim loved it. And you know it if you don't have somebody at that position as you've tried to get the same program in your school, we don't have it and you don't have it. You got to have the right people in the right spot or you can't get it or you can't get it. Okay. Slim loved it. He built it. He put me and Bruce Harbach in the weight room for that period. And we started that program and and you probably don't remember it, but that second year, we're getting ready to play Cumberland Valley for the district championship. And the paper did a big article on the weight program and about the morning program, you know, that we have the, all the football players coming in. They get their lifting in. They get all this done before the school day really even started. We call it at that time. We just call it. We just brought them in. We just brought right. them in earlier. Because homeroom didn't start then until like around eight o'clock. Right. And then we brought him in at seven o'clock. But now, as you know, hey, you go to Cedar Cliff High School, guess what they have? Right. They have that program. And then Colin Gillen, the head coach there, he'll tell you right now, without that program, okay, that program makes a major difference. Yeah. Manham Township has that program. Exeter, Governor Mifflin. Okay. Look at the teams that are winning successfully. Yeah. Okay. But the other thing, the key point to that was to allowing kids to participate in other sports with not interfering with them out for other sports as far as the weightlifting is concerned. Right. Okay. So they got their lifting done in the mornings. 
that was a class. So it's like, there's no, you're in a class, you're getting graded. You're getting right. a, you're getting a phys ed grade. It wasn't like it was just uh, uh, intramurals. It wasn't, it was a class. So that made it even more important because you're getting graded. So as you know, we tested them, they got scores, you know, and they had to meet certain criteria. And I mean, Wilson was so far out in front of everybody else. Right. Okay. Because of that program. And, and I, I owe it to Dr. Slemmer for allowing the program to get started because who knows if there was somebody else in that position that wasn't a football person, who knows if we would have ever gotten that. Well, listen, it's a hard sell. It's a hard sell, especially in title nine, uh, title nine era. Um, because you got, and there was an equivalent, um, for, you know, female sports, essentially like throughout the day, there were other classes, but it's a hard sell. I mean, you know, it, that was always a, you know, something that, that I have tried. Now we do have a minor elective, but it's for anybody. It's not just for football. Um, and, but we're one of the first schools now that has a full-time strength coach. Um, so it's, it's tremendous. So so right now, what's really nice is I don't have to be the jerk anymore, you know, which is huge, huge. I'm not the jerk. He can be the jerk and he's not a jerk, but you know, they want to, they want to perform for him. So, you know, you know, what's good about that too, Chad is at Cedar cliff. I did the same thing. I had a full-time strength coach that the booster, that the booster club supported. Okay. But what was nice about that is I was able to walk into the weight room and pack kids on the back and right. encourage kids and not get in there and say, how come you're not in here? Right. What are you doing? Why are you skipping? Why aren't you working hard? That's the strength coach's responsibility. Well, ours is a school that. district, our school district. It's a full time, yeah, it's a full time salary. Yeah. Yeah. You go. So, so I remember, you know, uh, for those that don't know, uh, I came into Wilson the same year as Jim. I was yeah. an assistant unpaid assistant, which a lot of guys aren't willing to do anymore, yeah. but, uh, you know, Chad Henney is something that everybody wants to know about. I can remember I said to you the first year I was in the uh, junior high or I'm sorry, the middle school, the middle school at the time, central middle school. And uh, there was. Uh, I saw and I don't know if I think I went down the following year because he only would have been in eighth grade the following year. And I came back. I said, Jim, you got to see this kid. And I, I went to the cafeteria to find some kid or something down in the down at central and i was like you gotta see this kid like (laughs) this kid's a man and he's in eighth grade (laughs) but uh you know you made the decision we had uh he was a freshman we brought him up uh and you know we had another player that was a wide receiver very good athlete would have been a dual kind of a dual threat quarterback but In in firestone but honestly that was you know, he was more of a wide receiver than he was a quarterback. And the right. credit to him, he kind of knew that. Now, remember, he came to Wilson to be a quarterback. Right, right. Because <laughs> he, was, he was at Conestoga Valley when I was at right. Conestoga Valley. Yeah. Right. That's yeah. true. That's, That's true. It. But I remember I remember uh, you saying to me, I think it was our first scrimmage, and I forget who we opened up with. Did we open – I forget who we opened up with at the time, his, his freshman year, but – we opened up with East Strasburg. Okay. Yeah. One seven, six. Yeah. Uh, you, you, at one point, I just remember us having a conversation and I was a wide receivers coach. So I selfishly wanted Ian to be a wide receiver, to be honest, 
And I was just like, after the scrimmage, you said, what do you think? I said, coach, screw it. This kid start him. Let's go. And you, you agreed. And we went, we went from there. He was. Yeah. I, I tell you what, I remember we're at team camp that year at, at Albright college. And the first day Ian was playing quarterback. Okay. And we're sort of like using both kids. Well, then the second day I said, and I remember it, I said, just keep Ian out there at wide receiver the whole day. <laughs> and then after that second day, I actually remember this clearly, Chad, we're having a staff meeting and we're discussing this. Yeah. Okay. And, and, you know, Bill Morgan and all the guys are sitting there and, and uh, I, I even said, I said, what do you think? I said, you know, if we go with a freshman quarterback, we all got to be willing to suffer the growing pains. Right. You know what I mean? Suffer the growing pains. And then that's when we basically said, okay, we're going to give it a shot. But we opened up with East. We had to go up to East Strasburg. Remember, we had to yeah. go on that long ride. Yeah. Now, the funny thing about all of that is, and you can appreciate this, okay, we're in trips open. And Remember, Chad's a freshman, and they're not covering anybody because they're playing a 4-4, and the two linebackers are inside. So that means the <laughs> wide receiver, number three, is wide open the whole damn – well, Chad was a freshman. Right. He, he wouldn't – he had no experience. We wouldn't take what they gave him. Right. But if you can remember, they came down to our place the next year. Chad was a sophomore. Oh, my God, we were up 30 to nothing going into the second quarter. Yeah. He ran the same defense – and we just threw the heck out of the football and they never covered anybody. I was going to say, it didn't take Chad very long to learn. No, no, no. I tell, <laughs> I tell people this story, you know, and I said, you guys, the one thing about Chad Henney that, that separate, obviously he was a special talent. I said, but you realize in eighth grade, Chad Henney didn't play quarterback for the night. <laughs> right. He right. played running back. Right. Okay. And I said, Mr. Anton Fernsler. Right. Okay would toss the ball back to him and he'd throw a halfback pass. <laughs> yeah, right. I remember going to the ninth grade game and watch him throw the football and say, Oh my goodness. Could this kid throw a football? And then when the season ended, I called his dad in Sheldon. I called Chad in and I said, I want to make Chad a quarterback. Okay. To do it. Can you get him here in the mornings at seven o'clock so he can do quarterback workouts in the gymnasium and right. I tell, I tell all the kids that I work with now, I say, look, I said, he was in eighth grade. His dad would drop him off at the high school because the middle school was right next door. And from seven o'clock to seven 30, we'd be in the gym. We'd be doing quarterback development drills, footwork drills, throwing technique drills. And he said, we did that for four years. Right. I said, so, and I said, and this is when kids say, Chad was a three sport star athlete. He just wasn't an athlete. Right. Prince Gats, he was all conf all Burks in basketball. He was a state javelin chore. And here's the thing people forget. Oh, I know what you're going to say. He was on the relay, the four by 100 relay district championship team. He was a member of that. Right. And Chad, you know, Chad, the thing about Chad was it, his first 10 yards or 10 meters wouldn't have been great. Whatever he, his split time. But once he got rolling, once he got, uh, he rolling. ran, he ran for an 85 yard touchdown uh, against Reading. So yeah. that just gives you an idea of, of uh, well, if you, you can know, remember his, his freshman year, oh, that the game, comeback, the comeback against Reading, 
right. is one of the most memorable games because we were getting our butts handed to us. 25 to 6. We were getting hammered. And the second half, we came back and won. Well, one of the things that changed that game, if you recall, and this is something I learned from you, if it ever comes up, I would do something similar. But the Reading crowd, now this was at Albright Stadium, yes, it was. Uh, where Reading played, uh, and it was jam-packed because oh. Reading was very, very good. And uh, they had some players themselves. Well, there were some Reading guys probably imbibed a little bit of alcohol before the game, walking right behind our bench, <laughs> and they were getting on Chad. Oh yeah, and uh, and you you called the referee over and yes. said, "Hey, we're not going to continue this game until security handles these guys." And the other funny part about that, so the, the guys figured out these guys, these drunk guys figured out what you were doing and started to take off. And I followed down the sideline to the security point. It's that guy. Right. I kept walking the whole way down the yeah. sideline. But yeah, you, you stopped the game and then everything changed. It was crazy. Funny you bring that up, but I remember that clearly. Man, they were right. They were they were yelling at him and cussing at him and doing all. And you know, the fence was only right there. Right. There was right. no there's no track. No, there's no track. Oh, gee. But that was that was one of the – that was probably – no, the second best comeback we ever had when I was there. The other one was what, when we came back against McCaskey down 28-7 right. to seven in the fourth quarter with Scott Fellman and the guys. Yeah. That, was the, <laughs> that was the one. That Eric, was the Eric Hetrick to Sean Smith. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hit him on the – we hit him on the slant. <laughs> and Sean, you know, fast as can be, great wide receiver. So you, so from Wilson, then, you know, there's a ton of, you know, funny stories, some we could get into, some we probably couldn't, but, um, you know, then you went to uh, Cedar Cliff and that's kind of where you ended your uh, coaching career. And at that point, um, you know, Cedar Cliff is a really different situation in Pennsylvania because it's one school board and two school districts. Yes. And that makes it unique in that uh, that's not a title nine situation. That's kind of a, it's a school district title nine situation essentially because yeah. yeah. what one gets the other has to get. Oh yeah. That was, that was a real treat because at that point in time, I could care less what Redland had. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure that we had the best that we can get. And it was sometimes it, it was aggravating to me because I would come up with this great idea. And then before you know it, Redland would be crying wolf saying, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. If they're <laughs> going to get it, we're going to get it. And it's going, are you kidding me? Is that the way things have to be here? Oh, yeah. Uh, it, it was it was challenging, to say the least. Um, but we turned it around pretty quick there. I mean, we turned it around pretty quick. Uh, you know, the first year we basically went, we went 500 the first year. We went five and five the first year. And remember, they had come off multiple losing seasons of bad football. Yeah. And the first year, you know, we go five and five. We lose a heartbreaker to Redland. I'll never forget it. Dear goodness. We had the ball first and goal on the three-yard line, and we go power left, Chad. Power left. And I go power pass. Okay? And and a lot of people thought I was crazy. And I'm saying, no, that, I, I do that. Okay? Power pass. Fake it. Oh, we had a tight end wide open in the end zone. There wasn't a guy within 10 yards. Their defensive end jumps up, tips the ball, goes straight <laughs> up in the air, and they intercept it. We lose the game. 
and and I'll never forget it. I'll never forget that. I'll never forget it. Okay. And, or else we would have finished six and four the first year. And it, it was a great year to begin with, but, and then again, we're blessed. I go there and I, I have a tight end named Adam Brenneman, the number one tight end in the country. I have a quarterback named Andrew Ford who goes to UMass and is the all-time leading passer in UMass history. So I had some great players yeah. again uh, up at, up at Cedar Cup. So that, that was a great experience. And I'm still very close to all those guys over there, but I, I retired and you know, how coaches all say, well, when's the right time to retire? When's the right time to retire? Well, we're playing Bishop McDevitt for <laughs> mid pen championship. Cedar Cliff had never beaten Bishop McDevitt while they were in the same division. Never. And we're playing at Bishop McDevitt. We end up winning the game 49-42. Um, was one heck of a football game. Yeah, I don't like those types of games. It, it was uh, oh, it was a nerve-wracking me. They ended the game. They had first and 10 on our 15-yard line, and we held them four downs. Uh, that's how the game ended. But uh, we end up winning that game, and we walk into the locker room. Almost everybody's gone. I was always I was always the last one to leave. And uh, one of my assistant coaches comes over and says, "Coach, can I ask you a question?" I said, "Yeah, what's up?" He said, "How come you're not going over to the restaurant? We're meeting everybody over there. We're going to celebrate." Right. And uh, he said, oh, "I had to come back and get something, but I I, I just got a funny feeling." is this your last game? Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. And I said, yeah, it is. It is. It, I'm done. I said, I'm not done coaching, but I'm done being a head coach. And I said, I always said I wanted to go out on top and you don't always get that opportunity in our profession. Sure. Go out on top. I said, so I am ready to retire as a head coach. I said, the responsibilities, the pressure, the time commitment and everything else. He said, I'm tired. I'm right. tired. So, and that, and that, that's when I did, I retired right there as a head coach, obviously didn't retire as an assistant, but uh, uh, retired as a head coach, but Cedar cliff was great. The people there were great. There's another situation, Chad. I was sitting home in my house in the Wilson school district at the time. And I got a phone call from their athletic director asking me if I would be interested. And I said, you're an hour and 10 minutes away, man. I don't, right. I, I don't know if I can travel that far. He said, come up and talk to us. I said, when would you like, a, when would you like me to do that? Now, <laughs> now I said, I don't have any, don't prepare anything. Just come up and talk. I went up there and spent three hours with this committee and they offered me the job. And I went in there, Chad, with every demand from the morning elective program right. to reduce schedule um, to the, I mean, everything I could possibly ask for. And they said yes to all of the above. Yes to it. The only thing I had to negotiate now was my actual salary because that was a union thing. You know right. how that works. Right. And then once we did that, that was, a, that was another beautiful job because the people, superintendent, all the way down, they wanted the football program back. They wanted it to be respectful. 
and it was really bad. And Cedar Cliff, previous to that, they had a great reputation. Sure, Kyle Brady. I mean, oh, Kyle Brady and the Bob Craig era, they they were one of the dominant football teams in the mid-pen, but they had fallen on really, really hard times, and uh, they wanted it back. So, again, um, but, but that was a, <laughs> a, a really good experience. Really good experience. Yeah. I, I know the question everybody asked, Chad, whether you were going to – what was the most difficult job of my whole coaching career? Go ahead. I know the answer. It's Wilson. And my, and my Wilson, only because um, the expectations at Wilson were so great that it was almost impossible to meet them. Well, they were already established. Yes. You know, yeah. you know, it, it was, and you know, like that first year at Wilson compared to all the other jobs, like all the other jobs that I had, I went in and, we put together a really good staff, but the programs are really, really down. So everybody wanted some new ideas and knew this and knew that. Well, when we went into Wilson, remember, I had to take a power offense and now hopefully get it to where we were going to be a spread offense. Right. And that wasn't easy the first year. Not everybody was in agreement with that uh, theory. Oh, hey. <laughs> And, you know, and, and it wasn't, it was hard. It was difficult. Um, and, and the thing is when we won the district title that second year, boy, did I feel good because at least we knew we could take a traditional power play action football team and turn it around and become a more multiple. And we used to do power stuff and things like oh, sure. that. We, you know, we did a lot. We ran midline veer we right. ran, and we even put the outside veer in <laughs> that one time against Governor Mifflin. To prove a point. <laughs> to prove a point. <laughs> and you know where I'm coming from on that. I think that, um, you know, I think that sometimes, and I get uh, bottled into this sometimes too, is because uh, you're, you are willing, I'll put it that way, are willing to throw the ball, um, Sometimes you kind of get the uh, the reputation of of being a throw first, but you know I uh, you know when we were at Wilson, we I think our running back four of your seven years led the LL league, not just the section, led the LL league in rushing. So uh, the same thing, the same thing, you know, I experience that sometimes, like even amongst guys on my own staff who are saying, you know we need to run the ball more. And I'm like, well, we run like, look, we run the ball. We average in seven yards of carry. If yeah. we ran the ball every time we'd average five yards of carry. So like we're getting mileage because we're spread, you know, Hey, I'll never forget Jeff Brubaker. <laughs> he when keeps coming up. <laughs> when, when, when we were playing Mannheim central that night for the section championship. Yeah. That was a memorable night at Wilson. No doubt. Yeah. That was crazy. That was crazy that night. You remember, we gave the ball to Pete Gilmore 40-some times <laughs> for over 300 yards rushing. And I'll never forget. And that's when we put we, we had – we were running off tackle. And, and I can just see Jeff is going, yeah, you can just see him. He's excited. Keep running it, coach. Keep running it. I'm going, okay, I'm going to keep running it because they could not stop the off tackle play. They could now not my, stop. my next guest – 
is going to be Coach Williams. So I told him, by the way, and I was going to bring some of this up, but I told him, by the way, that I was going to let him go after you in case you said something incriminating, he could respond to it. But, you know, I'll never forget, and I'll talk to him about this, just a preview. I'll never forget uh, Mannheim Central fans, which you mentioned earlier, faxing uh, the University of Miami. Mannheim Central fans were calling our athletic office and asking if they could uh, tailgate in a parking lot. And they met with alcohol, by the way, starting at like one o'clock that afternoon. Yes. And, and our school district was like, no, we're in school till three o'clock. Like, what are you talking about? The kids are in the parking lot. Oh, they, they (laughs) they had on the other side of the visitors bleachers. They had that whole area there. I mean, it, it was a college atmosphere. Yeah, it was great. As far as that's concerned, it was, that was, an incredibly memorable football game. And I'll also remember it. Uh, if you remember the game ended when they were lining up with an onside kick. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And at that time, Dan Sikanik is standing there and, <laughs> and, you know, like we're all now the pressure's on Dan because they're trying an onside kick. They scored like two touchdowns in the last two minutes of the game to bring it within a one touchdown game. Cause we right. were up at three scores. Yeah, their, and, their quarterback was pretty good too. Uh, Jeff Smoker was, or <laughs> he wasn't bad. Yeah, he wasn't bad. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was good. But I'll never forget the I'll never forget the the fans from Mannheim Central lined up like the school day wasn't over. No, and you came out after school and they're already in line for you know they couldn't oh, yeah. get into the stadium till probably six o'clock six. Yeah. Oh yeah, they were out there ready to go. <laughs> yeah. That was that might have been the largest crowd at Wilson for a high school football game that they ever had. Yeah. It might have been. I mean, you you, you, can, you could not get. The game could not be hyped up any more than what that game was. Yeah. It was the game, no doubt about it. Well, no we, we experience crowds like that. You know, we're very fortunate because we have, uh, you know, it's a little bit like, although we're not going back and forth in the paper, but Rob Heist at Perkiona Valley and Scott Reed before him have it rolling and, and our games uh, – against them no matter where it is it's just it's crazy and well, uh, know, it's a great atmosphere yeah. you you have that down there and i always tell people this i said the most unbelievable atmosphere in high school football that i coached in without a doubt is downingtown east yeah coltsville downingtown east sure that 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 is the most intense situation in high school football that i ever been a part of well the other thing about that stadium is there's no track Oh, and and they're, right and they're right on you, and that's oh, that's, that's huge. Oh my goodness, yes. We yeah. played uh, Coatesville in 2012 for the district championship yeah. there, and it was the same atmosphere. But I, I tell you, one of the most there was one time the the loudest crowd that I've ever been around was actually when uh, we were still at Wilson. I was still at Wilson, and we played State College in the. Uh, played Bethel Park at State College. At State College. And because it sits down in that stadium, which is one of the yes. most beautiful stadiums probably yes. in the country, much less Pennsylvania, but it sits down in. We had a whole uh, – we had a, a, a kid, Calvin Pangolin, that we were trying to do a, like a basically a wildcat uh, situation with and never thought that, you know, we could communicate the regular – offense with the quarterback no problem we'd either run it in or whatever well we just I would just yell it in you know all year when we do that I would just yell it in we had like three plays and I would yell it in he couldn't hear yeah. <laughs> like he couldn't hear me yeah. 
from the sideline to the huddle, and it was oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. those types of things. Did, did, Wilson, did Wilson lose that game in overtime? Uh, yes. Yeah, I remember. I, I watched it on TV because it was it was broadcast. Yeah, I watched it on TV. Had had a had a couple issues with uh, some of the calls, um, and uh, we we actually had a touchdown call back prior to right. halftime, right. and also a couple calls like holding calls on outside zone that maybe were running towards their sideline that they got a little extra help with. Correct. Correct. <laughs> but yeah, um, that's the, the great thing about high school football ultimately is just uh, the small town atmosphere. And I, that was really missing this fall. I know you didn't, you know, you weren't coaching uh, this fall, but every game was like a ninth grade game or a JV game. Now, fortunately at our school, they let some people, you know, they let parents and we actually gave, uh, tickets to opponents, but um, it still was a fraction, you know, a fraction of well, what it normally, you was. know, I, I tell people like, like I'm using Penn State example, okay? In my opinion, if Penn State was allowed to put 110,000 people in that stadium, I think they would have played a lot better than what they did. I mean, oh, that's sure. What, and all the home games, sure. Home games, you know, because in major college football, the home field advantage is enormous yeah enormous uh and not having any fans uh god yeah. i mean i know i talked to, to to matt ortega uh the saturday after they played their first game against avon grove and i said what was it like he said it was the weirdest feeling i yeah. ever had in my life it was very he said, strange it was so quiet you can hear everything the quarterbacks were saying right. i mean it was like it was weird you, you can, can hear, hear you can hear everything the the uh, you know the other sideline was saying. Yeah, yeah, everything. And he said you can hear all the audibles. You can hear this, but he said it was weird. Yeah. You're in the dark and it's quiet as can be, and you got a football game going on. So let's hope that uh, it clears up and uh, fans can get back into the feel of things uh, come fall and bring yeah, well, normal. Sure, for us too. It's just getting back into the weight room as a group. And, and doing some of the off-season things that we try to do. I mean, it's been, it's been really well, it's a strange time. A lot of people don't realize how important that off-season program is, especially that weightlifting program, building strength and confidence and everything else. When you eliminate that from your, your schedule, wow. And, and, and I know I talked to guys at Downingtown East, and they take a lot of pride in their off-season program. Sure. You know, Mike Matta always talks about how strong his kids are. Well, he said in and, the paper when they yeah. beat us in the district in district games, the, their kids play uh, they play weight room football. And I had to laugh because they said, we start in January. And I was like, well, we start in November right after the season. Yeah. Well, I, like I was a little annoyed about that comment. But I know where he's coming from because they play such a basic elementary of offense that they're right. just going to pound it and pound it. Well, when your kids are not in that weight room for six months and they're lift and let's face it, you're lifting in someone's basement or someone's garage. It ain't the same. Sure. You know, your kids, kids came into football season this year, for the most part, the weakest they ever were. Right. I mean, in a lot of programs, they didn't do anything. People need to get back to normal. Okay. And we, we always joked at, 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 like, for example, Coatesville with Matt, he says, you know what? If team A and team B don't use the weight room, who's going to win? 
well, the team with the most skill and athletic talent. Right. Okay. Because the strength factor is not going to be a, a factor. And it held true quite a bit for a lot of teams. That's for sure. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. All right. Well, Jim, I appreciate it. Um, this is our, this is our initial podcast. We'll see how it goes. We'll have to see if we uh, blow it up. We'll have to get SVS on as an advertiser and uh, we'll go from there. But I appreciate you taking time out of your Saturday morning in beautiful Florida. And uh, I hope you have a good day. I know your wife wants to probably get rolling there and go to well, we're, kind of we're gonna go up to the We're going to go up to the Italian market up the road. Oh, okay. so we can find something to eat for lunch. And then we're going <laughs> to probably just go to the pool and sit down and relax all afternoon. Nice. You know, down here nice nice i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna try to remodel my bathroom so we have d very very different types of days yeah well enjoy it buddy all right hey thanks a lot i appreciate okay. you being on here and taking time all right we'll talk right. to you later all right see you bud be good thanks for joining us this week on the pa football story podcast make sure to follow us on twitter and facebook or on our website pafootballstory.podbean.com where you can subscribe to the show on your preferred podcast platform or via RSS so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating, a follow, a like, a share, or just simply tell a friend about the show. Be sure to tune in in a few weeks when our guest will be legendary Mannheim Central and Hall of Fame coach Mike Williams. This podcast was recorded by Chad Brubaker in his own personal capacity. The opinions by Chad and his guests are not affiliated with any current or previous employer or organization and are expressly their own.